I think you're really going to like this episode of STEM, Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and our guests today are the co-founders of Grow It, Seth Reed and Mason Day. Grow It is a social community for all things plants, with the goal of helping the industry by inspiring more people to grow more plants. They've also launched a couple other programs for the industry's benefit, including their Garden Shops program to help get garden centers in front of more consumers, along with their Tours to Go program for botanical and public gardens designed to help gardens engage with more of their visitors. One of my favorite things about Grow It is the team behind it. Seth and Mason are not tech guys trying to learn horticulture and fit our industry into a predetermined digital framework. They're hort guys with a passion for the industry and tech expertise learned after they determined a clear need and gap in our industry's approach to end consumers. They understand the needs of growers, retailers, and landscapers, as well as many other members of our professional industry, and are working tirelessly to increase plant consumption, something that benefits us all. They're also collecting tons and tons of data, and we all know data collection is the new gold rush, and this knowledge is as valuable as gold. Let's sit back and listen to what our end shoppers are saying through their use of the industry's first social gardening app. But first, Connect Four, where we take a look at four recent news stories lining up to support one key industry topic. This episode is all about data and technology, and Connect Four will follow the same path. Four ways drones and drone technology can and will impact horticulture in the near future. I know some of you are early adopters, probably the ones listening to B2B podcasts, and may already be using drones in your greenhouse, garden center, or landscape projects. But I'm guessing many of our listeners haven't, but have thought about it. As this technology becomes more affordable and the applications become more clear, it's something to follow closely. Here are four interesting ways we might use drones to improve our productivity and efficiency. Agriculture is rapidly adopting drone technology, you might or might not be aware. Recently, American Farm Bureau Federation released a study that found for farmers using drones as a service, the average ROI is $12 per acre for corn, $2.60 per acre for soybeans, and $2.30 per acre for wheat. Because of this payback analysis, both John Deere, DuPont, really, and others are investing in technology to make drones and the related sensors, software, and even insurance a reality for farmers. We're quickly learning that drones can help track almost anything on large tracts of land, including water use, crop health, heat signatures, and soil analysis. Expensive aerial surveillance that could previously only be done with planes, and not very often, can now be completed weekly or even daily with drones that cost only hundreds of dollars. Next, the use of drones to inspect existing infrastructure, think greenhouses and growing fields, can be cheaper, faster, and importantly, safer than conducting all of these inspections by hand. I know greenhouse professionals who are already using drones to help determine the placement of new greenhouses and even to follow up on maintenance and construction in progress. Other real-world applications like this are energy companies inspecting power lines and wind turbines using drone video. Imagine the possibilities, and they don't involve ladders and scissor lifts. Third, I recently read an article that discussed Dutch drone technology that actually studies plant growth, stress, and other environmental factors in a greenhouse, such as temperature, humidity, and light. The company leading this charge is Applied Drone Innovations, and they've secured 600,000 euros in funding 
and have a university partner helping move the technology along. Collaborating with potted plant growers in the Netherlands, the technology is coming rapidly, and I'm sure we'll see and hear more from these early studies very soon. The final chip in our game of Connect4 seems pretty out there, but trust me, it's real and it's happening currently. Drones pollinating plants. In spring 2017, researchers in Japan successfully used a tiny drone to pollinate an actual flower. The remote-controlled drone was equipped with horsehairs coated with a special gel. Researchers claim it was the world's first demonstration of pollination by an artificial robotic pollinator. Here are some numbers. About 75% of the world's crops, including apples, chocolate, carrots, and coffee, depend at least in part on pollination. The estimated value of food produced with the help of pollinators is between $235 and $577 billion a year. Many pollinators are under threat, which we know, especially bees and butterflies and these invertebrate pollinators, and reports claim 40% of these species face extinction. I know it sounds crazy, but this is happening now. So it seems the drone technology has applications for our industry from construction through to the growing process. Keep your eyes and ears open for more to come. I expect many industry events to ramp up coverage of drone technology with sessions and speakers and many new products and services coming to market very, very soon. So speaking of technology and horticulture, let's hear from Grow It, a new company with data about what today's shoppers want. Okay, let's see how this goes. The first STEM podcast with multiple guests. It's my pleasure to welcome Seth Reed and Mason Day, the co-founders of Grow It to STEM. You might have heard of Grow It by now, as it officially kicked off four years ago in May of 2014. A lot has changed with the app since then. It's gone from a simple app used to rate plants to becoming a full-fledged community with hundreds of thousands of members exchanging all sorts of plant knowledge every day. Seth, Mason, welcome to STEM. Thank you, sir. We are happy to be here, and hopefully, uh, yeah, like you said, your first podcast with two people, so uh, this double feature should be pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm excited, too. Very excited. Thank you for having me here as well. Absolutely. Got to have both of you guys since you bring uh, something different to the table. So, all right, let's get started with a question I I pretty much ask anyone who works in social media. I know you guys are going to educate the listeners to, to get us started, so... Let's try this one at a time. What is your favorite social media platform and who is your favorite person or company to follow? And probably most importantly, why? All right, so I'll jump on this first. So other than my first favorite platform, which is not Grow It, Garden Socially. Uh, sorry, Bill. Uh, no, uh, so I, you know, I spent a lot of time looking at LinkedIn and the person that I enjoy following the most is a Mr. Brian Fox from Trusted Herd. Uh, He has been building a platform to help the promotional worker uh, industry by creating more transparency where workers can jump in and rate companies that they've worked with so that way other promotional workers can better understand good companies to work for and companies that are not as good to work for. And then he's also trying to pull in the promotional companies to help find better workers. And, And why I like following him is He's similar to Mason and I, where we he spent uh, about 10 years in the industry, saw a lot of challenges, a lot of things that weren't working, and he has a mission to fix the industry through technology. 
And all of his posts are actually very motivational and talking about the impact that he's trying to make. And he posts consistently. So I know every week I'm going to read a Brian Fox post that's going to get me pumped up. Well, I, you know, I agree with Seth. I, I like LinkedIn, but, you know, I'm probably close to two decades younger than Seth. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I'm a little younger than Seth. So, I, you know, I would say that I definitely am enjoying Instagram these days. I like to follow uh, Denny's, you know, the breakfast diner that you probably know. It, they post some really interesting and unique photos that they clearly have somebody on their creative team thinking way outside of the box and it's really unique and it just you know it's something funny to take a break from you know the the stress of daily life and take a look at what Denny's is posting and be like you know get a good laugh so to, to clarify there it's not that you're younger than me oh. it's that I'm wiser than you ah. okay well okay so beyond that and the fact that Mason clearly follows Denny's because he likes cheap food and is probably looking for coupons. I think that it's interesting that a company like Denny's that has been around for a long time is engaged on social media and creating fun and, you know, somewhat unique content. So to STEM listeners, try Brian Fox on LinkedIn and Denny's on Instagram. Thanks, guys. Since all right, so I'm sure not every one of our millions and millions of STEM listeners around the globe has heard of Grow It. Why don't you guys give me a quick overview? I know you've got a consumer gardening app. I know you've got a garden center function, and I'm going to link to all this stuff in the show notes. So, you know, you guys don't need to say the links to this, but, you know, and I know you work with organizations and public gardens and all sorts of different uh, aspects of the industry. So what exactly is Grow It? And can you tell me about the team uh, behind Grow It that makes all this possible? Yeah, Grow It is really a technology a technology solutions provider for the green industry. And we started in 2014 as an app to get more people interested in plants. And since then, we've really evolved into being a forward-thinking initiative as to see how do we get the industry thinking about future technologies before they get here and to be better at connecting with modern consumers in a fashion that maybe they're not so used to, uh, the industry that is. And you know, so we have a, platform, a community platform of 500,000 plus people. And then we also have a program for garden shops that gets those people and gets grow in front of those people or gets, gets those garden centers in front of people on Grow It, sorry. Uh, and then we also have a botanical gardens program that helps people, helps visitors and botanic gardens tour around those locations. Um, and so we're always looking for new possibilities and opportunities. And our goal is to just really bring the horticultural industry into the modern era of technology. Yeah, and when we, when we look at the team, and, you know, as Mason mentioned, we launched in 2014. I remember going to Cultivate for that very first time after we launched this uh, social plant app. And, and I think a lot of people at Cultivate were like, What's with these two dudes in their gray grow it t-shirts? What I, a, a social media app for plants? I'm like I'm not really feeling this. Um, and, but it was just the two of us. Uh, but very shortly, uh, we found ourselves attracting tens of thousands of users on a weekly basis. And after about 18 months, we had close to 100,000 people uh, on the platform. We, and we quickly realized that it's going to have to be a strong team to really take grow it to the next level. You know, we created the concept of grow it to make a difference. 
to be mission-based, to make change in our, our industry, to attract a younger generation of people and engage them within technology. Uh, and if we were gonna do that, we need to have a strong team. So one of our first hires was Megan Itoven. She's from the whole community industry, which is a, an involved, uh, evolution from social media through community. So she runs our community team uh, with Courtney Nunley, all about the engagement of our members within the app. Uh, we brought on Chelsea Grow. She does our business development within the whole botanical garden sector. Um, I head up the uh, business development on the, on the garden center side, as well as looking at overall uh, collaborate, collaborative partners. Uh, and then we have our development team. We have Josiah, Ede Alfonso, and Stefan that are our iOS, Android, backend developers that are constantly working on enhanced features and making the app run better. So that way, basically, you know, every day people are hopping onto the app, having a great experience. And so we have this really great team of people making sure that both the members, the garden centers, and botanical gardens have wow experiences. Did you honestly say Chelsea Grow? That's got to be a fake name, right? It's not a fake name. Uh, it's it, it is Grow. It is R G R O H. Oh, okay. But you know she's pretty confident that we hired her based on her last name. But she is actually a very good business development person as well. So, uh, but not everyone is is named Grow. To be fair, I didn't notice it until after we hired her. I didn't make the Grow Grow connection. And it was an immediate facepalm situation on her first day when she said that. I, I think we, we've talked about this before. You're not supposed to say that. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't say that out loud. <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay, you just said 100,000 users in the first 18 months. Those kind of numbers, I think, when, when we talk about engagement in our industry, those numbers seem pretty astronomical. I love it. So can you actually go a little bit deeper into the numbers? How many users do you have? How many photos are uploaded? Because when I poke through the app and you know sit down and you know try to help help name some plants that that you know people are asking the names on, it seems like there are just endless photos. So what is, you know, how many how many uh, how many users, how many photos, and what does the community look like in terms of uh, the demographics? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so currently we have just passed 500,000 people. I think as of today we're up to 510,000. Uh, community members that have posted 250 over 250,000 photos and you know what's really interesting with that too we launched a new feature last year was a Q&A so we've already seen over 20,000 questions added to the app which don't necessarily have to have a photo um, and as for demographics you know it's really split about 50 50 um, and we do that 50-50 line at uh, under the age of 35 or 35 and older. And uh, what we also find is that it's also kind of a 50-50 split from experienced gardener to more of your rookies. And uh, so that, that really actually goes into a benefit because you've got 50% of people that are starving for information, right? They want to know what this plant is, what do I do with it, how do I grow this plant, and then you've got the other 50% uh, that are more of those garden boasters, and they say, oh, well, you should do this and that, and of course, they all they want to do is spread that knowledge, and we, uh, we really use that to our benefit, and uh, it's created an awesome community experience. 
Well, that makes sense, because I, I know a lot of people go to social media to ask questions. It's almost like, you know, instead of reading Consumer Reports 20, 30 years ago, now you just ask your community, ask your own tribe what, you know, what they think. Um, is that something you guys are seeing a lot of on Grow It? Yeah, and I think you hit, you hit the word right there, tribes, you know, and people, what we're finding is people love being Grow It community members, and they take great pride in it. We actually had a guy um, who's a community member. His name, his name on the app is Happenstantials. Um, we'll put that in the notes. Yeah, and uh, he actually used the term. He he's one of our plant masters, so he's part of our one of our smaller groups that goes out and identifies a lot of plants and answers a lot of questions. And he actually this spring used his title as Grow Up Plant Master to. Uh, he designed a, a small display garden at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show, and when they asked him for his title, he said that I'm a grow-up plant master. And so we thought that was really, really cool that you know he, it started to even have this status or class associated with it. Well, and just to jump in there as well, uh, we even we we noticed all of this conversation going on in the app and really how enthusiastic members were, and so we even started an internal program where we encourage members to engage with other members and, and help other people. And then we send them swag for participating. And that's been really good, um, as you mentioned before, Bill, with the tribe thing, is that people want uh, immediate answers and, that, and they would much rather ask someone else than, than cycle through all of the encyclopedia-like information or there's other apps out there that, you know, it's just like a, a library of information and then you have to spend 20 minutes reading through to try to find your answer. A lot of people just like to say, hey, here's my question. And then they're looking for feedback from other people. I mean, I think that that's the rise of the social media influencer, right? I think that that's really cool that you guys are tapping into that on Grow It. So you said more than 500,000 users, about half of which are under 35 uh, years old. So when I think about the demographics um, shopping at, at Lawn and Garden right now, it probably doesn't reflect that kind of a split. That is a ton of younger users. So what are they posting? What are they sharing? What, what do they like? I, I think that, I, you know, I always get that question from garden center owners and growers. Um, you know, what, what is the next generate, what is my next generation of shopper? The folks that are, you know, mid thirties now sort of approaching that, that, that peak spending age. What, what should garden centers make sure to have in stock now to appeal to these younger shoppers? And what about the colors? What's like, what's trending now? Um, I think a lot of people have seen it themselves, but we're definitely seeing that people can't get enough of houseplants. And I think that, you know, I grew up in the industry, so houseplants, when I was growing up, always seemed like, oh, that's something from the 70s, right? And, you know, we probably knew of a handful of houseplants, you know, your Dracaena, your Calatheas, your Sansevieria, and they were all like the five things that you would see when you went into a store. But what we're seeing is an explosion in houseplants being popular right now, as well as the variety of houseplants available. Um, you know, people are posting all sorts of I mean, pilea or pilia, however you want to say it, is extremely popular. Peperomia, you know, all of the different types of peperomias out there. And I think that, you know, in a category that we once saw as a five plant or six plant category is now exploding into, sure, Calathea is still popular, but now Calathea itself is almost a class and people are finding hundreds of different varieties of houseplants and becoming houseplant collectors and doing this whole jungle uh, 
uh, type of decorating. And as far as colors, you know, that goes that are popular, it leads into those trends as well. You have, we have uh, the the first three colors that are most popular with millennials right now are all shades of green. And then it actually goes into a bright yellow, a white. And then when we look even younger, Gen Z, we're actually seeing that red is showing up a lot. So it's really interesting to see how that shakes out and it, it aligns with the plants that they're actually interested in. And, and to, to feed off of that, if we start to look at general trends, actually Mason and I uh, both posted some, some more immediate trends on LinkedIn last week where we went into the app to see what was popular and uh, last week, just looking back, um, was Iris was a really popular item that people on the app across the board were interested in uh, clicking into, looking for more information, as well as more of an aloe houseplant. Uh, that was, it has, aloe has been trending as popular for the younger millennial and Generation Z on, on the app, but what we saw over the last couple of weeks, aloe is actually just as, as um, all of the generations have been uh, looking for information on aloe. So that and might. To that point, it's specifically aloe uh, used in indoors, so houseplant type aloes, not necessarily your landscape aloes that you'd see in the Southwest. Huh, that's, that's kind of cool. And I'm definitely not a millennial or Gen Z, but I have an aloe plant in my office right now. I'm looking at it, so I'm definitely I'm on trend. That's kind of cool. And I will put uh, no, uh, links to your guys' LinkedIn accounts in the show notes as well. Um, so we hey, got Bill, to, yeah. Just to jump in there too is, is maybe an opportunity for some of the notes is we did a webinar a few months ago to garden centers where we have a more detailed uh, line of insights on plants that we see as being popular. Um, so I include that and, and just with that, one of the items that uh, that we saw was was coleus was the kind of the leading kind of annual that people were interested in. Um, and so it'll be kind of interesting if that's something that uh, garden centers start to see this year. Absolutely. No, for sure. Send, send me that link and I'll get that in the show notes. So we've got coleus, aloe, houseplants. So not a lot of blooms there, but then irises, big, beautiful blooms. So, you know, I think it, it's cool to see uh, interests and trends ranging across um, different categories of plants. So speaking of garden centers and, and the webinar you guys did you mentioned earlier that there's a grow it strategy called the garden shops program so you know i'm an igc guy so can you tell tell me tell uh, me and the listeners a little bit about what what that's about and how does a garden center benefit from a social gardening app i know a lot of them are on facebook they're posting pictures to instagram or pinterest um you know sort of using those platforms to drive uh, customers into the store so how do our garden center listeners sign up and what's the cost for, for STEM listeners? And I suppose also for growers or landscapers, but I'm thinking primarily of the, the retail side of this. That is a laundry list of questions there, Bill, but I can certainly help out with that. So our, our, our garden shop program has really been an evolution of the app. So when we when we first launched the app is about sharing and there wasn't an immediate um, plan to have garden centers involved, but what we saw is members were using the app to share stuff from their garden, they're trying to get their plants identified, they're asking questions, and all this engagement, people started, we started seeing uh, comments in, in various threads saying, oh, this is a really great plant, where do I buy this? Um, oh, I'm looking for a good, this a, a purple uh, petunia, does anyone know where I can find some? 
Um, and so there's all this conversation happening where people wanted to know where to buy plants. And at the same time, we actually started to see some independent garden centers organically just use the app on their own. On their own. So one of the examples is, is Keller's Farm Stand. You can find them on Grow It. They're in the Naperville and uh, Oswego, Illinois area. They were using the app. They were posting pictures of different hanging baskets they carry. And, and what happened was is they actually posted a picture of a streptocarpella. Have you ever heard of that plant, Bill? I have heard of streptocarpella, yes. Can you, can you spell streptocarpella? I have an English degree. I can spell anything. Okay. Uh, and Mason's really good. No one can really spell streptocarpella outside of this room and this Skype call. And people listening... There's some of you that also would admit you can't really spell streptocarpella. And so for consumers that don't know anything about plants, streptocarpella might as well be in, in Chinese. And, and so what we saw was we had, a, we had a member looking for this plant for like 20 years. This is through the commentary that we saw. And she was just looking. She knew it was violet. So she was searching the app through our color picker. She was looking for violet. And she found the plant, the streptocarpella that she didn't know what the name was and found that it was actually from, it was posted by this Keller's farm stand. And so then she was messaging Keller's farm stand saying, hey, do you have these? And they're like, yeah, we got a bunch of them. Come in to our Oswego location. So she went into the location, she bought them, and then she started commenting about how she'd never been there before and how it was a really great experience. And so that that really opened up our eyes that, that Grow It could be a lead generation opportunity for garden centers to get customers that they've never had before. It's also an opportunity for our members to find out about these really great uh, locally owned garden centers and nurseries and, and go in there. So that's kind of how the Garden Shop program started. Uh, to your question about the benefit side of it is, is yes, um, you know, a lot of garden centers are using Facebook currently. Uh, Facebook is a global platform. You're able to interact with people all over the world. With, with Grow It, it does default to a local area. So when people sign up for Grow It, they uh, give us access to their GPS so they can access photos and pictures, gardeners and content all within their own local area. As everyone on this uh, podcast knows that you know plants perform vastly different, whether you're in Texas, Illinois, or Portland, Oregon. And so it's important for our users to see plants on how they would perform in their area. And so what uh, a garden center has the opportunity is as they use Grow It, much like they would use Facebook, uh, you can use it actually through your phone or through a desktop portal. As they upload content, they're able to share that content on a very local basis. So then people in their area uh, that already love plants, they downloaded a plant app, they're engaged with other plant people, they want to know where to find plants. And as Mason said, about half our audience are newbies. You know, these people don't know all the fancy plant names. They don't know what a streptocarpella is, but they like plants. And they may not know where that really great, you know, so often I used to uh, visit independent garden centers in my last role when I was with Burpee Home Gardens. And I, I go, I try to find the garden center, but it was, you know, on that weird frontage road. It's on the other side of town. And so often it's challenging for consumers to find these really great spots. And so that's what Grow It wants to do is we want to connect members to these really great spots where they have the help that our members need. Um, when you get down to the cost, uh, it is a subscription-based service. Uh, we've priced it out to make it so that way any garden center can participate. Actually, 
me and Mason have gone down to a couple in Chicago. It's literally, what would you say, five, six hoop houses. Mm-hmm. It's a raised quality greenhouse, excellent place, a smaller uh, garden center. They're participating. What, we, what we're doing right now is, Bill, is we have a special program. <clears throat> it's a dollar a month through the end of July to show garden centers. We've got this really awesome, amazing platform that we're trying to get them more customers on. Uh, after, <clears throat> excuse me, after July, it's going to go up to a really, really high price. I hope no one's like. He's joking. I'm joking. So no one like get off yet. So uh, the, the high price is uh, $9.99 a month. So it's super affordable for anyone. With that, you have the opportunity to connect to highly engaged, plant-loving people in your area. Post photos, we're adding, uh, you'll be able to post events. That's coming here in a couple of weeks. So if you have events on a regular basis and you want to let the right people know about it, you have that as well. Uh, you can also start to see how your pictures perform in your area so that way you know what you should be posting on your other social platforms. Wow. One dollar a month through the end of July 2018. That's very, very low barrier to entry to get into this for all of those benefits. And then nine ninety nine a month after that. I think that that is a uh, it's almost a uh, it's almost a must do for garden centers looking to engage this uh, this demographic and this especially this younger audience you guys are are attracting to grow it I think that that's fantastic um, the fact that it's local not global I think that the uh, that that is really what grow it's all about it's engaging that that local community and driving uh, shoppers into the store I really appreciate uh, that you guys are doing this for the industry. So that said, I got a quick question for you both. I've got to ask, what's the craziest thing someone's posted on Grow It? And then I guess a little bit of a follow-up be, would be what's gotten the most likes. You know, I feel like the craziest things that get posted to Grow It are not actually uh, – tr- nobody's out to get us, but I feel like sometimes our friends in the industry post things that, to try to get us. Uh, Cawkins? I think uh, – <laughs> We, we've seen a couple, I, I think Richard Christakis, uh, he posted a Batman billboard when we first started out, and so we took that one down, but we get, you know. I think, I think Matt Willoughby. Posted, he's posted a few interesting things. Um, my personal friends, one one of my buddies tried to post a salad and claimed that it was lettuce, but um, as far as really crazy things, not nothing that much. Uh, we, we do get, we like to talk that we get some really bad photos from time to time so occasionally people will take pictures of other pictures for who knows why uh pictures of pictures on seed packets we get those i like i like the uh almost the ghost images people like to go out at dusk and take pictures with their flash on so you have this this like bright white outline tomato plant with a seemingly black background it's just, but it's it's a trend. It's people like to take photos that way. It's it's bizarre. Like the Blair Witch Project. That's what we always compare it to. <laughs> That's awesome. So what's gotten the most likes? So we've definitely seen that pineapple is something that people are like. It's definitely something that people like and are interested in, and that people are constantly uh, talking about because they don't necessarily know it as something that grows from something from the ground up. They see it as something that grows from down from a tree. Uh, so when they see it, um, how it actually grows, they're really, really interested and definitely are interested in figuring out how do they grow it themselves. 
that's cool. You know, it, it's true. I think when you see a pineapple growing, you're like, wow, that's, I mean, that has got to be something that most of your newbie users have never, ever seen before. So, got about five minutes left. Let's get back to the plants and a few more tangible things. I like to, I like to find out the weird stuff, the wild stuff, but can you share a few insights gained from your user base that, that our listeners can put into action, whether they're growers, retailers, landscapers? You know, I, I know that you guys have collected data on more depth behind, you know, just what plants are popular and why. And you guys are really, you know, you guys are from the horticulture industry, like you said. So I think it, there's a lot of value to our listeners to hear what's gotten you excited or some wows or aha moments you've had when it comes to um, insights gained from the Grow It user base. So I think, you know, to talk a little bit about, and I know you're looking for information outside of the plants, but to to kind of go back into a meta trend on plants is that like you like we saw this past weekend irises right it's one of the top photos added which is is pretty interesting because when we think of irises like house plants it's one of those things that we think of as being an older type of plant that was popular in times past and i think that over the last couple even the last couple of years we've seen iris remain extremely popular and i think it goes to show that oftentimes we get wrapped up in things that are hot new what's the best new thing and what we fail to realize is that consumers still like the oldies and even if they're new consumers you know there's something about an iris bloom you know because a lot of them are you know you talk about your dwarf irises are blooming now and people are really intrigued by that first pop of bright spring color and i think that that's it's really something that's not going to go away and i think that is kind of an aha was an aha moment for me to say like you know this is something that we look at as being old-fashioned but it's it's still relevant and you know how can we take advantage of that yeah and, and you kind of play off of that is that What's been that aha for me, as someone who's been in the industry for quite a while, we're often talking about the <clears throat> the newest things because everyone has access to what was popular at spring trials, what was popular at Cultivate, what's popular at the IGC show. And we're always looking in that kind of that forward thinking what's coming down the pipeline. But uh, more than 50% of consumers um, don't know anything about plants you know they, they like plants they're buying plants but they don't they're not uh experienced gardeners they don't necessarily know the difference between an impatient or an, and a petunia and a hosta and an iris but they know they like flowers <clears throat> and, and i think what what you know if i'm talking to people that are interacting with consumers at the garden center level is just know that more times than not the person you talk to has no idea uh, what they're talking. They don't know any about the plant. So it's their first time, even though maybe they've been there multiple years and you recognize someone, it's almost like their first time. So you have an opportunity to introduce someone to a really great plant. And it doesn't matter if that plant is new or try and true and, and older it's, but you have th that opportunity to tell them about that plant and, and why it's great. But then also make sure that you're speaking to them in a way that they understand rather than trying to use a bunch of horticultural terms that they're like not really fully understanding. And I think, I think that goes into one of the things that we've seen is that as a, you know, our jobs are horticulture, right? So we live it. Whereas 
plants to a lot of people are, you know, they're a hobby. They're something they do a few times a year, which obviously we want that to be more, but they don't necessarily speak the same language that we do. And, you know, our language evolves day after day after day after day. We learn new horticultural terms. And then we get in a conversation with someone that doesn't know those terms and it's like whoosh right over their head. You know, uh, something I did, uh, so I worked at a garden center in high school and college, and one of the things that I did then with a lot less knowledge that I think applies very well now is I would go through and basically pick my eight favorite plants across the whole garden center between perennials, annuals, house plants. I had my eight picked. And so when someone would be like looking for ideas, be like, you know what? Here's the eight that I like best. And after doing the grow it thing, and seeing a lot of different plants show up on the app, there's a lot of different, a lot of different interests. But at the end of the day, people are looking for inspiration, and it could be new inspiration, old inspiration, and just having your eight plants that you really like. So that way, when someone comes up and is looking for ideas, you can say, "Here's a couple of purple ones that I really like. Here's a yellow one with a little bit of why." I think that would make a, a big difference when people are coming in, buying plants, or having a great experience, and they're leaving on a happy, inspired, and an educated basis. And especially if you can figure out a way to connect those eight plants with information that's already out there. So obviously, you know, things that we're seeing on our end and what people are posting. And, you know, we have this plant information about, you know, a massive amount of consumers across the country and have all of this knowledge. So if you want to know what people are interested in your area, definitely get in touch with us. And then that way, create your top eight out of that so that you know it's what people are coming and looking for. So when you say, yeah, we've got uh, houseplant aloe, and they're like, oh, that's what I really wanted. And this guy said it's in his top eight. Then it's like a, a win-win. And they're like, oh, yeah, point me where I can grab one of those. Um, so I think it's definitely a combination of you know knowing what your picks as a garden center are and aligning them with what you already know consumers are interested in because that's what they're going to come in looking for you know their list is going to be small so um you might as well try to team up with that you know you guys shared two really critical pieces of information right there that i think you know it, it, we're wrapping up here i think these are really good takeaways for the for the listeners you know seth you mentioned that more than 50 percent of consumers know nothing about plants i suspect the number is significantly higher than that but I think that what we have here is an opportunity to grow sales with that group that doesn't know much about plants. You can sell a few more plants to a plant person, but imagine getting a new person engaged in our industry and the fact that, that what that sales curve looks like. Secondly, you said this is your opportunity to introduce someone to a new plant. And Mason, you talked about inspiration. And I think that that this is what our industry has. And these, these are the things that I'm learning and listening to you guys talk about Grow It is how people think plants are cool and the general population loves our products. So that opportunity to introduce someone to a new plant and to really inspire them, you know, with the beautiful products that our industry grows and sells, I think is, you know, we're, we're going to see immeasurable gains from that. So, you know, thank you guys so much. If any of our listeners have questions or they want to learn more about Grow It. Mason, you talked about you know digging into the data and learning a little bit more from the, the information that you guys have collected. What is the best way to get in touch with, with, with Grow It? You know, if you want to get, get in touch with us personally, feel free to reach out to our emails. Uh, mine is mday at growitmobile.com. Seth's is sreed at growitmobile.com. 
My phone number is 810-656-0200. Get in touch with us anyway, you know, even if you think it's, you know, you want some more information, want to figure out how to get your hands on it. You know, let's figure out a deal that works for both of us and we can do that. And even if you've got some questions on what we can do or what we can find, or if you think you might have a great idea that you want to team up with us on, let us know. And uh, yeah, and? And with that is, uh, people should definitely in the, in the industry, as we're talking about getting people into plants and seeing what that excitement is, is just get on the app, check it out, see what people are, are saying in your area. You know, we have, people have the ability to ask general plant questions. If you're hopping on the app, you might have some of your own aha moments. Once you're saying, wow, people are asking about this? This is crazy. Like we, why are they confused? We have all the products. And then jump into that conversation because we're doing everything we can to engage a population of people that are not engaged. Educate them in a way that they're not being educated and inspire them. And now it's up to the industry's part to jump into that conversation and, and take advantage of those those great opportunities for leads. And I'll put I'll put all of the, I'll put your guys' email addresses and everything into the show notes. Where do I find Grow It to download it and get started? So it, the easiest way is to go to our website www.growitmobile.com. Um, we're available on both the Google Play Store as well as the uh, App Store for Apple iPhones. So you know, pretty much on 99% of the smartphones out there, you can find Grow It on your App Store. Excellent. Well, thank you guys very much, and to our STEM listeners, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of Grow It users means tons and tons of data to help us all get smarter and increase our relevance. So put this from the industry, for the industry, social media to work for you. Check the show notes for everything you need to get started and engage with Grow It. Thanks so much for listening to STEM. Insider tips for greenhouse pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com. B-C-A-L-K-I-N-S at B-A-L-L-H-O-R-T dot com. Or on Twitter at Bill Calkins. Be sure to follow Ballseed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, and more. And check out the show notes for links to even more content related to this episode. There are quite a few Grow It links included, so you can be sure to engage with the app. Let's end this episode with two quotes about data. One from a PayPal co-founder and one from Sherlock Holmes. Max Levchin drives home the importance of application of what we're learning, saying, The world is now awash in data, and we can see consumers in a lot clearer ways. And Arthur Conan Doyle's character reminds us, It is a capital mistake to theorize before one has data.